1: You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tennis.com Podcast. Once again, I'm Ed McGrogan here catching up with Steve Tigner on the latest on both the ATP and WTA tours. Steve, this week, I I, I again want to start with the women's game. Uh, We we got into Fed Cup a lot, one of our last podcasts. Uh, This time in February, as we gradually make our way toward um, March and the bigger hardcore events, um, women certainly take center stage this week in Dubai. Uh, The men will have their tournament there next week, and we'll just get into that a little bit after, but the women have their strong field in Dubai this week. Uh, It would have been even stronger if we didn't have a couple of uh, late pullouts with Serena and Bouchard, but... In this event, you get a you get a, a very strong roster either way, uh, but the way it's turned out has been you know very unlike what you might expect from uh, from such you know such a, an event like this. Uh, the top half of the draw, as of right now, you know, Halep and Guoazniaki end up at the end, um, and the bottom half of the draw is pretty much complete carnage uh, with the two semifinals being. Muguruza who we definitely want to talk about and Karolina Pliskova who's actually seeded 17th but only because um a, one of the top 16 seeds pulled out. So it's a tournament where you know we're we're seeing I think as you put it to me really um the depth of how do you want to really phrase it as to what this you know means or how this shows the really of the WTA
0: at this particular time. I think you can look at it you know outside of Serena and Maria outside of Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova the two finalists in Australia it just seems like there's a there's a, you know there is a lot of depth and it feels like the that you know different people can anybody can beat anybody somewhere in the top 20 or so it's not really surprising you know say Radwanska was the fifth seed and Muguruza was unseeded but and Muguruza won 6-4 six, six, 2 that that still to me is an, a shocking um, loss, and somebody like Pliskova could end up in the semifinals. Somebody like Safarova could beat Venus Williams. Um, somebody like Panetta could beat Kerber. Those are, you know, those are upsets, but they're not, um, they're not shockers. It sort of seems to me that there's a solid 20 players on the WTA below, right now below Serena and Maria, where you feel like anybody can beat anybody. Um and, 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 and it's just sort of a tur- uh, sort of a tour in flux all the time.
1: Yeah, and that's you know, that's interesting to say when you consider that one of those players amongst that group seems to be still Petra Kavitova, who is is now is a two time Wimbledon champion, um, but is is a player that I think we just continually wait for to um really elevate herself not to the level of serena, of course, but to a distinct other tier you know above the rest of the fray here and and it just we we're still i think we're just still waiting for outside of grass and um you know it it it, it is i think a little bit a little bit disappointing in some ways to just to just know that the talent the really the obvious sort of jaw dropping talent. On her best day is there, but we just don't see enough of those best days.
0: Yeah, she came into this tournament of the second seed. You know, I think you, both you and I thought that she was looking like she would have a, a pretty big year this year, and it's, obviously, it's still possible. But um, an early loss in Australia, and now she loses to Suarez Navarro in, um, in in Dubai, and I think she's made an effort to get fit. I, in watching her, she you know she looks much fitter, but a little more, maybe a little is hitting a. Not quite as big as she has been in the past. I don't know if that's a a trade-off she wants that she's she's trying for. That's just something you know. Maybe that's just temporary. Maybe that's just a a couple times I've seen her. Um, She hasn't looked quite as overwhelming as a ball striking. Um, So, but you know, maybe it's just her career will always be these these ups and downs, these sort of sharp turns. Both of her matches in Dubai were were three sets, Um, but it is. After the beginning of the year and after Wimbledon last year, it's still a little surprising, like you said, giving her talent that she would go sort of retreat again. At least to me.
1: Yeah, you know when you when you look at this this tournament here, you actually see. I feel like it's it's a twenty twenty hindsight thing, but you look and it's loaded with these you know players that. We see at Grand Slam tournaments that kind of throw wrenches in in the plans and really disrupt draws. Um, You know, Safarova, Carlos Suarez Navarro, who you mentioned or we mentioned, um, you know, also Makarova, Panetta. These are you know veteran players who have just who really won't do not relent and uh, and often cause high seeds a lot of trouble. So I, I I certainly don't want to. Discount really the uh, you know the abilities of, of these really th- this latest string of um, you know really minor upsets I think is a good way to put it and, and perhaps not even upsets at all as we say um, you know one player who I think is worth elaborating on a little more is uh, is Muguruza who as you said beat Rodwanska early on she also beat actually just uh, really. Head her way with Yelena Yankovic three and one goes on to beat Rodwanska. Um, you know, earlier this year in Australia, we saw Muguruza nearly defeat Serena Williams again at a Grand Slam, and and when she, uh, I have to say, certainly one of the most entertaining um, WTA players to watch. When uh, certainly when things are landing for her, because it's it's a forehand that is kind of a, a, a whip crack shot that that really I think catches even her opponents still off guard. It, it's it's really one of the best in the game and um she will not be unseated for, you know, much longer, I don't think, at these events. And I think I think it's it's a pretty good uh path that, that she's on right now.
0: Yeah, you know, we saw her, she was she looked like she was gonna be a top ten player a few years ago, then she got hurt. Um last year Obviously, she had a big start to the year, uh, beat Serena at the French, and then, you know, faded a little. She seems to have come back to that level again uh, of where she was. Um, So I think you you know you look at her as as somebody who's going to be who's going to be challenging again at least through the first half of the year. You know, maybe that's maybe that's her pattern. She's a fast starter. Uh, The other person to to look at in this tournament is Karolina Pliskova. She beat. Ivanovich, um, she beat Safarova as we're talking, she's playing Muguruza. Um, and she, you know, she is, she's sort of been the big mover of the, of the season so far into the top 20. Um, she has a, you know, she has a, a nice game, easy power, good hands. She's tall, has a good service motion. You know, I think that's somebody, it's a little bit of a surprise for the year, but looking like at the moment, like somebody who's going to, you know, is for real, who's going to be is gonna? We're gonna see a lot more of. Yeah,
1: it, it's been another you know steady, little more than steady rise as you say up the rankings um, for Pliskov there. You know at the top, like I said, uh, this match will be decided by the time uh, you're listening to this, of course. But Halup and Wozniacki, um, two players who after the Australian Open, you know, really uh, quicker than than expected, Aussie Open exits there for both. Um, it's a tough, you know, it's a little bit of a catch-22, I think, for them in a way in that really the proof for them doesn't really come out until the biggest events because, you know, they they are obviously such established players and uh, and really we're, we're kind of waiting to see, you know, are both of them really ready to to assume that next step. Both of them are in you know, very different place in their career, both around the same age, but... Um, but but you have someone who in in Halop you know got off to such a strong start last year, uh, Wozniacki really it on at the end there. But it, it, to 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 me it's uh it's really more that I'm curious to see what either of those two end up doing you know in March. But really more so you know until we get to the biggest titles.
0: Yeah, I think Halop is a good sign at this tournament. She played the woman she lost to in Australia, Katerina Maparova. Uh, they had a good match, a three-set match. Um, in Australia, Halep just kind of went away in the second set, really didn't even look like she wanted to be there. This match, she, she fought through it. She, she also went away in the second set. But she went away in the second set. Yeah. This, this time, but came back and um, really showed a good effort to win. And she said afterwards that she felt like she, because she didn't fight in that match in Australia, she, wanted to, she really wanted to do that this time. Um, so that's you know that, in a way, is a good sign. And Wozniacki, I've just been amazed about how Wozniacki has just, since the middle of last year, has just sort of resumed where she was, uh, moving up the ranks, well into the top ten, um, just sort of gone back to where she was. She had dropped down, and now, you know, very fast turnaround. And is she had an early loss at, in Australia, but that was to to Azarenka, so that wasn't that bad. Here she is in the in the semis and. You know, you figure she's gonna be back challenging for slams again. It didn't really take very long.
1: No, I I think we already kind of just have put her back in that place um amongst the game and uh and, and it's one of the better stories for sure, uh, considering I think, you know, how how high the uh, or how big the fall seemed to be from from number one to um, you know, really not that far outside of uh the top ten, but it, it just seems so precipitous because it seemed that really the game had almost passed her by in the span of about a year or two. And uh, and really it's kind of been uh, a little bit of a resurrection at, uh, you know, I think 23. I can't recall her age, but it's, you know, really so much time left for her to, uh, to really make good on, you know, what many have predicted for her for many years. Um, so, you know, that's where I think we'll leave things for the women in Dubai. Um the men get their turn next week. Um, it's pretty interesting. Actually, now that I think about it, is that uh, is that this would kind of make a, an ideal, um, you know, dual event. It, the, the tours have, you know, gone so so much to try and get uh, as many combined events as possible. And and I and I mention it especially because. Novak Djokovic did talk about how the desire to see Dubai become a Masters tournament, and uh, thinking about it there that way. But there are some, actually, some practical points of why they perhaps may not even want to do that. It's you know the the really the high appearance fees that draw these big fields. You know that kind of is eliminated if you if you take on. Really, the status and uh, and really more rigorous requirements that that an event uh, demands. I mean, do you? I mean, do you think that, especially with the tours going so much more toward the east, and you know, we have obviously some very high quality Middle Eastern tournaments. If if that would ever be a reality, to what Djokovic was saying,
0: yeah, it would make a great Masters event, a great dual gender Masters event. Um, obviously, has a high, it's a high profile place. It already has it's sort of built. Um, through these appearance fees over the years, built uh, a little tradition with tennis. Um, doesn't have, you know, I mean, doesn't have the greatest fan support, but but good. I think it's you know people associated with tennis, um, and it would be a great way to fill February, which is a which is a sort of a you know not a very there's not a lot at stake in February. It would give it would give this month something, you know, it would give it that. Um, I don't know what the logistics are of putting a tournament like that together. Like you said, maybe it's be careful what you wish for. For the top players, they wouldn't get they wouldn't be paid any longer to go there. Yes, um, but I think for fans who are looking for something in this month, you know, it seems like a you know, a it pumping. is
1: the most significant because. event of the month anyway. It it always seems that we put it put it that way, and uh, you know, many of the players, obviously, in fact, are uh, are. Most de facto residents of, of the area, we, including um, Roger Federer, yeah, him, Djokovic, Murray, Andy Murray, also will be playing next week. Along with you know, this is I actually um, this is only a 32-player event uh, next week, so it's a it's a much tighter field for the men's draw. But it's I think uh, a little more quality over quantity.
0: Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting. Federer, Djokovic, Murray. We've seen Murray once since the Australian in Rotterdam. First time we're going to see Djokovic and Federer. First time we're going to see Federer since his third round loss in Australia, which you know feels like a couple months ago. Um, last year, Federer, Federer beat Djokovic at this tournament. Um, you know, I think as far as people having things on the line, I think probably Federer is the person who could use the good result at the moment. Djokovic, whatever happens to him, he has the Australian already. Um, Murray is obviously, nobody, I don't know if anybody's expecting Murray to win the tournament, but Federer, to me, after his loss in Australia, I'm not sure what to make of his, just be interested to see what happens with him going forward. Obviously, overall, he's his trajectory has been good. He's He's, he's number two in the world. He had a good season last year, but I almost feel like that's the kind of loss that could could um end his momentum in a way uh, it was cer- of-
1: it was certainly I think you know to go on the lines of what you're saying it was one of the one of his more you know unexpected i i don't think anybody saw that coming for a variety of reasons and especially because you know he had just won the week before in Brisbane and uh really at that point had seemed to put what happened at the end of last year kind of, you know, really completely behind him.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it sort of reminds me possibly in 2012, he had a a good year. He came back to number one, and then he lost to Burdich at the U.S. Open. And he sort of reacted a little negatively to it afterwards. I was surprised, and I felt like that sort of stopped his momentum that time, and he struggled for a while. He obviously was injured in 2013, and there were other factors. But I just wonder whether... You know, we'll see whether he can, whether, he's whether at this point he had, you know, he has, he can sort of bounce back quickly from a bad loss. So that'll be an interesting aspect of of this tournament.
1: Yeah, um, that's a good point on Maroi really Feder as as a momentum player. Something we, something I don't think we've had to think about, especially you know, considering in the in the early parts, you know. In the prime of Federer, really the many years of his career, it's you know if he took a loss, it's it's more that you you can suspect and for with great reason that it it was really just a one-off showing. But but that you know that has happened more frequently. Of course, Federer has has aged and and the field has really improved around him. But um, but the momentum aspect of, of of Federer and really when you think about it, kind of all of the um, you know the big four players who have become increasingly more threatened over the years. I think that's an perhaps a little more an underrated element of their of where they are at the moment because we you know we do now have um, Murray, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic back in those top four slots, and it's it's still um, I but it's still really a point of debate I think of where people view this collective quartet here as they're you know as how strong of of rulers they are in the game and and you know how they are able to be beaten and and I and you know I think it's 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 not it's not out of the line to say that the vulnerability really is still there uh but you know now we're we are back to seeing that clear delineation point between those four guys and the rest of the field um you know, I mentioned that in part because of you know players that are that are playing now and next week. You know, Rafa, he's he's back this week in Rio. At the moment, he's into the quarterfinals um, after two straight sets wins. You know, he comes back onto clay, and you, you talk about momentum with Rafa. You know, really his career has been built on that. Um, you know, especially on clay, where he just piles up wins you know, just gobbles them up. But, you know, so what do you, you know, Rui, what do you say or kind of see Rafa at right now? Because, you know, obviously when you talk about people who are in different points of their career, you know, Rafa seems to have a new stage of his career every every couple uh, couple of years, it seems like.
0: Yeah, I feel like now he has a new sort of, he has a new template for making his comebacks. In 2013, he played the South American Tour for the first time in a long time, uh, won a couple tournaments, and then he had, maybe his best year of his career. Um, now he seems to be trying that again. He's, gonna, he's playing in Rio and he's going to play in Buenos Aires next week. Uh, I feel like Rafa has, he, we, we know he's the best clay court male player ever, but he, I think one thing he's also done well with it is he's used his dominance on that surface as a way to, to build confidence for other surfaces. He's always had that big, spring on clay and it used to feed into wimbledon where he eventually where he eventually won um and but so i think i feel like this is a way he's 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 trying to sort of to expand that idea by by starting the year on clay essentially and, and maybe and sort of ex- building out into the two big u.s hard court tournaments in the spring it's another way for him to kind of Use his use his strength, which I think is something I don't know if any other player. There have been clay court specialists, grass court specialists. But I don't know if any other player has has used his ability on one surface. I feel like to to build confidence on other surfaces as well as Rafa, and that would make sense because he's so dominant on the one on the one surface.
1: Yeah, well, what what's interesting to me with Rafa is that uh, it, it really speaks to this time of the year where we're kind of this February month where you don't really have a have a like a big beacon event that that's it centers around but you know in the past you know rafa was you know he's always been of course you know the best on clay but you know at this stage of the year he was never you know he was never playing um events in the south american swing for example there always had been a, a great a number of clay court events there um but it was really left to I think the the died in the wool just dirt ball diehards there, and Rafa, you know, bided his time and and really just only sort of took took ownership of the service, you know, on the big European events there, and um, and it's I have to say it's it's uh, you know th- when you think back to say like. Uh, you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and you're like, oh, it would be, it would be something to see Rafa, you know, in these really smaller events. Um, and and you know, now we're seeing it, and they're, you know, they're actually, you know, they are certainly giving, you know, he's he's winning, but they, you know, they've become, I think, pretty critical, important events of of his schedule of late, and uh, and in, you know, that's a little more interesting in that we'll see the Olympics down there in uh, in. 2016 as well, of course not on clay, but uh, to see Rafa really sort of change his you know his schedule evolve over time, I think um, you know will make yet another chapter and really you know his story when all is said and done. And you know uh, it's it, to me that's one little more interesting wrinkle of this February month is that Rafa has become a big part of it in a different way. Um, so you know one other player. That I, I wanted to mention, um, thinking, uh, looking at this Dubai event next week, is actually Thomas Burditch, Uh because just thinking back, you know, thinking back to things that seemed to happen a little while ago, you know, Burditch's run to the Aussie Open, uh, through the Aussie Open, that seems like a while ago. Of course, he took out Nadal, but he really went down pretty, um, pretty surprisingly in 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 some ways to, to Djokovic there, um, or. Uh, at the at the end there. But I think this is a big event for Burdich, um, coming off that result and really, you know, is was that just another kind of surge by him or, or can he sustain that and really make this renaissance that perhaps we saw from
0: Stan Wawrinka a couple of years ago? Yeah, Burdich, he did the same thing in Rotterdam I felt like in one match in the way he the way he did in Australia. He like you said, he beat Rafa in Australia and then kind of reverted to form and lost in the key moments to Murray in the in the Rotterdam final he hadn't he's lost a lot of matches recently to Vavrinka he played Vavrinka again uh was ahead looked like this was the match he was going to win was hitting really cleanly was hitting the same way he had against Nadal in Australia and then he couldn't finish it you know Vavrinka was was almost the better you know was again the better competitor um and I think that's still there for Burdich. He seems to be hitting the ball really well. As far as just ball striking, he seems more confident, I feel like, than he's ever been. But but just getting down to winning those matches that he doesn't normally win. He's lost a but you know, he he lost a bunch to um to Vavrinka, and that's what happened. You know, it sort of you know, it almost felt like, Well, now I have to, to beat this guy I haven't beaten, and he couldn't do it. Uh, and that's been his pattern in the past. So that's the one, you know, Still feel like there's that same same issue for him that, that he'll need to get over. It'll be tough at this tournament, obviously, with better Djokovic and Murray, three guys who really are are ahead of him. Um I it would be an impressive win if he could if he could beat a couple of those guys.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, with the structure of the tournament he's gonna be have be forced to play a number of those guys in a row and uh but if it I mean, that's what I think I say when uh, I think about Burdich, and maybe this term means most to a guy like him of all of them, because uh, it would you know, perhaps be one of the most impressive of you know of his career to this point, and we see him in perhaps a little new, a bit of a new light um, as things have progressed from 2015 on for him. So um, I think that's when we will catch up again, is uh, in the midst of the men's event in Dubai. And, um, and until that, next time, everyone, thank you for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan with Steve Tickner. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.